State of Digital Publishing is creating a new publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Brad McCarty on his startup journey and his vision for building the editorial side of the double-sided marketplace for healthcare professionals. Let's begin. Hi, Brad. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. I think you're in, very, you're in a very interesting space. You, you come from an editorial background, but now you're in the startup space and you're an editorial in the startup space. And yeah, I'll just pass it over to you if you could just explain about AngelMD and what you guys are doing and, and your current setup and how you guys started. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, so AngelMD is, uh, for lack of a better term, it is a marketplace where startups in the healthcare industry can list themselves and they can find investors and advisors to help them bring their products to market faster. For the investor, it is a great way to find heavily vetted startups that have also been uh, been advised by professionals within their industry and within their specific subspecialties. Uh, and then we also have kind of a, a third group of users, which is uh, doctors who are at that point in their career where they're ready to invest and they... Uh, may not have investment experience uh, as far as, you know, angel investing is concerned. And so they can kind of leverage the wisdom of the crowd uh, in, in the sense that they have other doctors who can help them to make decisions about which companies are the most promising. And they have angel investors who can help them to make decisions about uh, the best way to, to be able to invest or provide assistance to those companies. Cool. So what's your role and what are you currently doing um, with, with AngelMD? Sure. So uh, my official title is marketing manager. Uh, I don't know that I actually do much managing. I just, I, I do a lot of marketing. Uh, so uh, my, my primary role with the company is that uh, if it is a piece of public facing uh, language, whether that is, you know, language on a website or on the blog, uh, a press release that we put out or a white paper, chances are that my hands have been on it. So, you know, I, I rely pretty heavily on my background uh, coming from uh, years of, of writing and editing experience and, you know, basically just making sure that the messages that we put out there are uh, hitting the right people the right number of times and that they are the right message. So what is, you decided to leave um, digital media and come into this space, the health space, the startup space. Why did you decide to do that and how, how is that? your past experience helping you in your current role now? It's interesting because uh, when I worked, the the big publication that I worked for before I got kind of into startups was called The Next Web, which actually ran uh, very similarly to a startup. Uh, we were, you know, kind of a, a young, scrappy, diversified team uh, all the way, you know, around the globe. So there, there wasn't actually a whole lot of transition there for me as far as, you know, the, kind of the mentality and how things worked. But when I worked at the next web, I became just absolutely enthralled by startups. It's, uh, it's a really infectious lifestyle and, uh, you know, kind of being around that sort of brand new technology at, at, at every turn was just something that I, I fell in love with. And so when an opportunity presented itself, uh, for me to transition and actually go work for one of those startups, I, I then fell back onto one of my uh, previous areas of expertise, which was uh, advertising and marketing. 
And so I thought, okay, well, if I can take, you know, what I've learned about reaching digital audiences and what I've learned about uh, being able to connect with people, you know, through the the next web, and and I can intertwine that with the somewhat traditional marketing things that I've learned in other jobs, then maybe I could come up with something. And and fortunately, it's worked out really well so far. And any any past experience in health, or does that, has that played a role in in this in this job, or is yeah, it so, job sort of learning as you went along? Uh, at, at one point in my life, I was a nurse. Uh, so healthcare is a it's a big passion for me. I I, I got into nursing because at the time, so. I just kind of wanted something that you know was really secure. I didn't really have to worry about having a you know ever finding a job and whatever. Uh, I, I found that that actually wasn't what I liked. What I liked was I, I love healthcare. Uh, I'm I'm incredibly passionate about new technologies in healthcare and and solving really difficult problems like uh, you know companies that are are working on solving heart disease and diabetes and and these uh, these conditions that are killing people daily, I'm really passionate about finding a way to help them because you know, those were the things that I dealt with directly as a nurse. And so it's, uh, it is kind of a best of both worlds scenario for me where I get to still be involved directly with healthcare, uh, but I do so in a way that uh, I, I'm no longer you know, on a, on a floor for 14 hours a day taking care of patients. Well, it's very tough and it's um, they very unrecognized as well, nurses, so we appreciate all the work that they do. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly tough job, and and I have I have the utmost respect for the people who do it. Uh, it just wasn't, you know, where I was going to be best uh, able to help. Absolutely. And, and how's the current team set up now? And how long has Angel MD been running for? Sure. So AngelMD has been around for about four years. We've been very quiet, honestly, up until the past year and a half or so. Uh, really just kind of, uh, there, there's, a, there's a whole lot to AngelMD that the public doesn't really know about yet. And, and part of that's because we haven't actually done a very good job talking about it. Uh, and so part of my job is to help us to define how to to spread that message. So there is a uh, there's a lot of technology in the background where it's it's more than just kind of like a social network thing. We have we have a, a very serious vetting process and algorithm, and you know we rely somewhat heavily on uh, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning to be able to help us make decisions about which companies are most promising. And so for the first couple of years, that's really what AngelMD as a company focused on was just getting that, that system to operate the way that it should. And it's, it's an ever-changing process. It's something we're always working on. But uh, then in the past year to year and a half, we started to become more public about you know, who we are and what we're doing. And so you know, the company's been around for four years, but it's still, still very young in, in the regard of uh, you know, how much we've been out in the public uh, you know, kind of public facing and, and what we're doing as far as marketing and content is concerned. Um, and how what was the tipping point? Like, I know you, you said the first couple of years, you felt the NGMD team focused more on, on the, the technology. What was the tipping point saying, okay, now we want to, we want people to get people to know us? We need to start focusing on the audiences that we're, that we're solving to. What was that point, tipping point? Yeah, I think the tipping point really comes when you have proof of concept you, that you know that 
you know that your technology is solid. You have verifiable proof that what you have put all of your work into is actually returning results. And, and once we saw that, then we knew, um, and this was, this was kind of before my time with the company as well. So I, I, I'm going to try to uh, just echo the sentiments that I heard, that I have heard, uh, because that's, that's not a question that I've asked directly, but, uh, you know, so it seems to me that, let me be very careful how I state that, it seems to me that their tipping point was when they stepped back and they said, okay, we know that the technology is working the way that, that we want it to. We have uh, built, you know, a, a, a growing network and we're nowhere, uh, you know, having the network and, and, and expanding that network is never going to be at a place where we can say, okay, we can stop now. You know, but we knew that we had enough people, uh, you know, between startups and investors and, and doctors and advisors, we knew that we had enough people in the mix to be able to kind of have a viable live product. And so that, that to me, and, and what I have understood in speaking with, uh, you know, various people across the company, that's kind of the tipping point was, you know, just kind of understanding that, okay, we have all the pieces in place, we may not be completely stable in the way that we, you know, eventually want to be, but but what startup is. That's, that's correct. And, and you guys are, in, like, like I was saying, you guys are in a unique position. Like, when you look at, think about traditional publishers, it's usually a one-to-one relationship, so twin publisher and the audience. Um, you know, the social networks where it's double-sided, um, double-sided networks, but you guys are trying to t- tackle three angles, I guess. So, or how, how many angles do you think you're tackling? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll <laughs> one or two. Yeah, it's so it's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know that I have actually sat down and said, you know, here's the number of angles that we're tackling, but but you know, so we're being liberal, I guess is the best word with how we're approaching the different audiences. And so you'll notice that if you go to the blog on HLMD and and you take a look at the different articles there, there's going to be, uh, there are going to be things that are very investor focused about, you know, here's this company, here's the technology that they're, they're working on. Here's where they stand in their life cycle. And here's the amount of money that they're looking to raise. So, you know, if you'd like to invest in them, here's who to contact. But then you're going to find things that are just kind of more healthcare focused as well, which for us, what we've realized is that where that sort of content becomes valuable is not only for the investor or for the doctor who is too busy in their own lives to really kind of keep up with that information, but also for the other startups who are out there to be able to kind of understand what's happening in the market around them. So one of the posts, uh, actually the first post that I did when I joined the company was, I called it the Friday Roundup. And it was basically, let me go find five really important healthcare stories from this week. And chances are that people are going to, you know, maybe they've seen one or two of them, but they probably Probably haven't seen all five, and so uh, we we published that, and I got really amazing feedback from the community that said, you know, hey, this is this is great. I, you know, I had no idea that these things were happening, and so we've just kind of kept publishing that. That's a very low bar, you know, it's a very low barrier to entry to to just uh, pull up, you know, a week's worth of RSS feeds and to flip through and say, oh, well, you know, here are some really important stories and and kind of narrow those down to five. Uh, there, healthcare is one of those fields. And, and, and for us, it's healthcare and investing and innovation. So, you know, we, we have, uh, there's not much of an either or there. There's a whole lot of ands. 
So, you know, it, it kind of opens up the door for us a little bit more to be able to reach out into areas that otherwise uh, we may not have touched. You know, if, if we were only focused on healthcare, then I would never talk about investing. If I was only focused on investing, then I would never talk about innovation. And, and so all of these fields are critically important to at least one, if not multiple segments of our audience. So we've got a whole lot that we can talk about. So that comes to the point around really identifying, like, you've been brought on board to help communicate the message of Angel MD. You've got all these different um, ands, like as you said. So, what have you started doing in order to be able to help communicate Angel MD's message? Sure. So, the first thing that I did was, uh, you know, Angel MD had a blog. They didn't use it very often. Uh, it was primarily kind of a, you know, some some kind of quick thoughts from a founder or a, a press release uh, regurgitated onto it. And, and so, the first thing that I said was, okay, let's own this as an editorial aspect, and and let's turn it into something that can eventually become a source of knowledge. And, and so you know, the internet has really kind of, for better or for worse, uh, democratized the ability for a company to be able to dictate how their message is, is put out there. So in, in the best of cases, it gives a voice to people who might otherwise not have been heard, or companies or you know individuals who may may not otherwise have been heard. In the worst of cases, it gives the same, you know, the, the the opposite end of the spectrum. People who maybe shouldn't be heard also have a voice. So, you know, there's a there's a whole lot of noise out there. And so the first thing that I wanted to do was let's open up the blog and let's talk about you know, these are the, let, let's narrow it down from, you know, 25 or 30 different categories of posts to these are the four or five things that we're going to talk about. And if it doesn't fit these four or five things, we're not really going to cover it because there's a thousand other places where people can find that information. You know, so that, that was kind of my first step. The second step, which is, uh, has really just started kicking off for us. We have a, a gentleman on the team by the name of Mark who is developing associations with companies, or, or I'm sorry, uh, groups like the uh, American College of, of Emergency Physicians or the American College of Cardiology. And so what we're doing there is we have these gigantic groups who are essentially for us kind of a captive audience because they're they're exactly the type of people that we want to be involved with AngelMD. And so what we're doing is we are simultaneously providing content to these groups that they can publish in their newsletter, publish on their websites or whatever. But then we're also working with them to field content from them that we're going to publish on our blog or put in our newsletters. Uh, we're, we're doing real live uh, you know, events with them where we're doing like pitch competitions and you know, sort of like the shark tank type things uh, at their uh, annual conferences. And so there, there's really no end as far as I can see to what limits will go to to try to continue to develop these association contents partnerships. I, I think that you know we, we're finding if, if there's one piece of advice that I could offer to, to any content creator out there, it's to find where your audience hangs out and then go to them. And so for us, our audience hangs out in ACC and in ASEP and in the American Medical Association and, you know, American Heart Association and all of these other uh, large groups 
So there's no reason why we would not want to work with them as directly as possible. So is your editorial slash monetization model events slash, how would you define it? Yeah, so um, the editorial model is uh, primarily focused on two things. Actually, the main focus is our newsletters. And so we have, uh, at at present, we have a weekly newsletter that goes out to all members. Uh, I have actually, over the past month or so, been working on uh, segmenting that to where it is better focused so that, you know, investors or people who are investors really only get newsletters that talk about investment. They can subscribe to the other ones if they so choose, but we're not going to force it onto them. So the newsletter is then fed by the blog plus the association content that we do, plus the events that we do. Uh, so for instance, we held our first annual conference uh, in January of, of this year out in Napa, California. Very kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say small because that's the wrong word. It's uh, it, it wasn't huge, but it was you know 350, maybe 400 really great people instead of tens of thousands of, you know, potentially okay people, you know, so, so obviously, you know, there's, there is a way to, you know, sell tickets and to make money off of those events. But, but our monetization model, as far as the content is concerned, is what can we do to, it isn't so much that I I have to get paid monetarily, I want to get paid an attention. And I want to make sure that, the people who are receiving our messages are the right people to be paying attention to us. So sometimes it makes sense then to gate that content behind some sort of whether it is a an email sign up or maybe it's you know pay five bucks and see our latest research or something of that nature. You know, so so there are times when it makes sense for us to ask for a monetary in kind, you know, kind of contribution uh, for the stuff that we produce. But, but generally speaking, because we as a company don't need to make money from the content side, what we are best served in doing is to, uh, to work with companies who can make money and who need to make money off of that. So we can provide our research to them and, and kind of the, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk and, and he's got this yeah, so he's got he's got this theory that he calls jab 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 right hook, and it's basically give 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 before you ask. And so before I ask anyone to give me an email address or to hand over five bucks for a white paper, I'm going to give them as much free stuff as I can, and that comes in you know the newsletter and in the blog posts and in the association content and everything else that we can give them. We're going to give them before we ask them to pay for anything. It sounds more legend to me. Do you think that's correct in saying that? Yeah, I think I think that's a fair way to put it. Uh, I, I definitely, uh, you know, so so my my perfect world is somebody who's never heard of Angel MD runs across one of our blogs or our podcasts or you know sees uh, that someone forwarded the newsletter or tweeted out the the web copy of the newsletter, and they become familiar with Angel MD. And in that perfect world, that person is either an investor, a doctor, or, or a startup owner or, you know, startup executive, and then they sign up to be on the platform. And so, yeah, for, for us, the transactional part of marketing becomes largely about the lead generation and signing up new users. So it's feeding the marketplace, essentially. Yeah, exactly. 
how do you how do you think marketplaces now are, are playing a role in digital media? Mm. <laughs> I think that there's so much room. Wow, that's 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 such a broad question to because when you think about marketplaces, right? Yeah. Like, let's think about somebody like Etsy, where yeah. Etsy is this kind of behemoth of the handmade market. So what what role does content play for them? Well, content in their case helps them as a company to align themselves with their users, to communicate what they're doing for their users, and therefore to recruit new people into the platform because those people are then interested based on what they've read on the content side or what they've seen or what they've heard or what have you, you know, because content is this, it is this gigantic sphere that includes every way to send a message from one person to another. So it's it's a really interesting thing in in marketplaces because you have the this kind of uh, open door to really advertise your products, but also to really feature the people who are using your platform. And I think that that's something that so many marketplace type businesses are forgetting about is that at the end of the day they don't have anything if they don't have users. And so spend more time showcasing those people, whether they're, you know, we, we do a thing called the, just an investor spotlight. And then we, we, do, uh, we do spotlights on the startups as well. As a matter of fact, I, I'm finishing up uh, one this week on a, uh, an augmented reality startup that's, that's doing just amazing things. And it's, so not only is that going to kind of pique the interest of anybody who happens to read the article, it's also going to be a service to our members because it helps them understand if they're a startup, they see, oh, these people are, you know, doing something interesting, maybe in the same space that I'm in, or maybe in a space we hadn't considered. If they're an investor, that gives them a kind of an inside view about, you know, the, the type of uh, funding that this company needs. If they're, if the user who's reading it is a doctor, maybe they're finding out about a new innovation in technology that they've never even thought of before. So there's so much that could be done from the marketplace. I, I think if, if I'm, if you ask me my dream content job, I think a marketplace would probably be it. Do you think that news would play a role in marketplaces or how do you think that would impact? Because, you know, we've seen, I'm not, I don't want to put Facebook in, into the spotlight or put them in. <laughs> but like, you yeah, know, yeah, but it's kind of hard to avoid it right like, now, right? So or Twitter as well, like they're trying to get into the news game as well. So do you think marketplaces have a role in, in playing in news or influencing news? Because you, you're, 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 you're always covering news startups, and that's really that's an aspect of news, right? You're featuring that. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I think that it's going to be almost impossible for any publication, whether regardless of whether they're a marketplace or just a startup or whatever. I think it's going to be impossible for them to avoid being part of that news cycle because let's talk about Twitter, you know, let's talk about Facebook as these examples, right? Because these are, these are sites that are filled with user generated content. And so whatever a user decides to post on Twitter or Facebook suddenly becomes part of that news cycle. And so it's, it's critically important then to 
to write with authority and to you know to share your messages with uh, with, with honesty and to avoid these kind of clickbaity this kind of crap that we've seen for the past however many years. So, you know, what, what we have found and what I've found personally is that users and, you know, readers and, and random people out on the internet really do care about things that are written well and things that are well sourced. And not only those things that reinforce their worldview, but actually things that challenge their worldview. And so if you're, if you're willing to put the time in to write and to read and to uh, make sure that you're putting the right sort of information out there, then I don't think you have the ability to dictate whether or not you become part of the news cycle. I think you just are by default. That's a very holistic view, and I appreciate that that view you've mentioned. Um, so, with with that in mind as well, like how how's health startups and because we know with startups, there's Inc.com or those other business sites where they're regularly featuring business, new business startups, and educating people about certain topics. How, how's, that, how's that in the health scene, health startup scene? Yeah, so there's, uh, there's quite a few out there. Um, less than there was in the past, but there are some really good ones out there. Uh, you know, we, we've got people like Rock Health who kind of uh, take a look at you know uh, funding in general and what's happening within the within the industry. There are publications like Med City News, which uh, do a really good job at covering kind of established healthcare, but also new entry providers as well. Kaiser Health uh, does does an amazing job at looking at the the business aspect of things. So you know, there's there's a lot of options out there. There's uh, it's it is a somewhat quiet space as compared to you know the the market that would that would be covered by Inc or Entrepreneur or you know CIO or whatever. But it is still um, you know it's 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 also a smaller audience. So you know it's it's noisy for what it is. Why did you decide to go with a blog instead of an editorial site? Well, what made you go down continuing with the blog if, if many of your competitors, so-called, in inverted commas, competitors, have editorial sites? So what's the difference? You know, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of my, my, my approach to things is, is an editorial site much different than a blog? Is, could a blog be an editorial site? You know, could, it depends on the content that you put onto it, right? It's how you, you're saying it's how you label it, I guess. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I, to to me in my head, the way that I look at it is, if it is a piece of information that somebody might find interesting, then uh, who who am I to say whether or not that's blog or editorial? You know, is it, uh, you know, is it a a piece of do I do I really need to go write five hundred words in my own? you know, of my own ideas about something. Yeah, sometimes, but more often than not, it's it's so much easier to just find your own unique voice while giving information that's actually valuable without having to... I think that if you are hiring a staff and you're bringing people on, they need to, and you're going to have an editorial site, They've got to be pretty well versed in what they're talking about, and so that's not always really easy to do. 
you know, especially especially in healthcare. You know, I, I fortunately have a, a a light healthcare background. I have some clinical background, some lab background, so I, I kind of know what I'm talking about sometimes, and yeah, that that's been helpful. But do people really need another editorial opinion piece out there? Well, yes, sometimes, but more often than not, what they need and and what we have found is that people really respect and kind of get attention or give attention to cleanly laid out data-driven factual information. And, you know, I, I could go editorial if I need to, but more often than not, it's just not as valuable of a, uh, a, a service to provide as data-driven. But that's what journalists are supposed to be doing, right? They're supposed to provide the facts. They're supposed to be giving us the background information. It seems that, to me, blogging has gone into editorial, which is where the blur has become. So, Well, and, and I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, maybe uh, maybe we needed that. You know, maybe we needed something to be a, a different voice out there. Uh, but by the same regard, I also don't know whether or not we need more of it. You know, the, the internet, again, going back to something we talked about earlier, kind of the, the democratization of the voice and giving a voice to everyone, uh, it, it has spawned some really incredible things. You know, so like one of my favorite sites uh, is now owned by the New York Times, but they're still relatively independent, uh, called The Wirecutter. And, yeah, so I love Wirecutter because I love their kind of no BS reviews about stuff. Uh, I love the fact that they they talk about, you know, here's the data behind the decisions that we're making or the recommendations that we're giving, but here's the real world stuff too. And so would Wirecutter have existed if we didn't also open up the door to having more of an editorial side? Yeah, maybe, but probably wouldn't be as good as it is today. Uh, I understand what you're saying. I guess it does more, maybe more come down to how people perceive it. But so long as, I think it's important, so long as that person is qualified, they have that expertise. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing, right? You know, that's the that's the point that I try to make with uh, with. So we have interns who come in every summer, and so every summer I have a new crop of college, usually juniors and seniors, who they've written papers for school, but they've never written something that has been you know read by a real human being. And so one of the things that I sit down and I talk to them about, I, I do a writing kind of one-on-one class with them. And I tell them, you know, okay, forget 90% of the stuff you've learned in school because the internet doesn't read that way. And, you know, here's why as a, as a college junior or senior who is coming and interning with us, here's why it's critically important that you source your work you know, because if if you give out an opinion or if you lay out an editorial voice and you don't have a source for it, then people are going to be like, well, who are you? And then they do a little research and they go, oh, okay, well, your Twitter says that you're, you know, University of Washington grad in 2022. Why should I trust you? You know, so, but but if you say, okay, I'm a UW grad in 2022, but here are, you know, here's citation from the AMA, from the American Society of, uh, you know, or, or uh, American Cancer Society or whatever, about the results that we found here. And here's what I think that it means. Then it becomes a much more viable piece of content that, you know, becomes a something that people want to read. And, you know, do you have done a service to the reader by taking the time to find that data and to write about it? 
so what are some of the techniques and technologies people are using in the health space at the moment to to do really good quality editorial and journalism? Wow, I think so. So the ones that I, I guess it depends on what like you know your your definition of high quality is. So I'll give you my definition. My definition, and you know, not that I actually have like a a written in stone thing, but my definition is. There's so much data out there. There's so many numbers that the the companies or the uh, you know publications who can really take that information and put it into words that make sense. Uh, those are the ones that I, I think are amazing, and so that's why I love what Rock Health is doing. Uh, they do reports about you know what uh, what subspecialties receive the most kind of funding uh, over X amount of time. One of the things that, I mean, not to toot our own horn, but we but I'm going to a little bit uh, because, you know, kind of the, the rock health thing enthralled me so much. And so I looked at, okay, from an investment perspective, what would happen if we looked at all of the, uh, in the United States, when you file for, when you try to raise funds, you have to file what's called a Form D with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And so we went and we pulled every Form D from 2017 and we said, okay, in 2017, which of these were healthcare companies? And then we had to go through, you know, those 20 some thousand different healthcare companies and break them down by their subspecialties so that we could see, you know, we could see trend lines and we could see, you know, maybe biotechnology or pharmacology or uh, pharmaceuticals or medical devices. Who's getting the most money right now? And where is that money coming from? Uh, you know, because we can also go in and we can see that, you know, it was these seven different investment firms who were part of this, this form D filing or part of this investment. And so we can see, you know, that California kind of still leads the way as far as where the money comes from, but, but they're closely followed by New York, uh, Texas for as much healthcare innovation as happens in Texas, Texas isn't even in the top five of the states in the U.S. that are, uh, that are contributing funds toward making these companies successful. So, yeah, it, you find really interesting things when you get in, you start pulling at the data and telling and giving the narrative of what the data tells you. I think that's really, it's really good to, to present. So um, I forgot to ask you, do you think any of the content that you, you're producing on, on the website now for Angel Data, has that influenced any startup decisions, like investment decisions or anything else like that? Or do you think that it's completely neutral what you guys are producing at the moment? Oh, no, I, I absolutely hope that it does influence decisions. Uh, that's that's part of, you know, that, that's kind of my, my primary goal with this is to hopefully when somebody who is an investor or a doctor reads this, I want them to then make the next step of clicking on you know either the invest now button or the startup name and go look at their profile and and you know in some cases a lot of these companies aren't really ready to raise money yet, but they're ready for advisors who can help them to make better choices about their company. And so you know I I knew I do know that you know some of the things that we've written, some of the things we put in the newsletter have directly led to funding and you know have directly led to advisors joining the boards of these companies so that's uh, that is a primary goal for me and and if I'm not if people are not acting on the information that we're giving then I need to give different information I think fair enough that, that makes sense um, with I guess in order to make that sustainable and just to help it become a sustainable business model editorial wise uh, what are you What's Angel MD doing at the moment? 
how, how do you see that how do you see that plan towards making a sustainable uh, editorial out of out of your efforts so the fortunate part about what what I'm doing on the editorial side and and what the marketing team is doing on the editorial side is we don't have to necessarily like we talked about before I don't have to necessarily have a transactional value of you know a piece of content earns us five dollars right what what i need to have is a transactional value of a piece of content brings us x number of users now the the downside of that equation is that marketing people don't work for cheap you know and so so we do have to be somewhat careful about you know because it would be really easy for me to say okay i want to hire five people and these five people are only going to write about you know this guy is going to write about only biotechnology. This woman's only going to write about, uh, you know, uh, immunoecology or endocrinology or something that's, you know, like hyper focused. But that doesn't. That's not a very smart way for for us to spend our marketing budget. And so for us, the uh, the sustainability aspect of it comes in to finding the least expensive ways to get our name and our data and our information in front of the right audience. And so sometimes, you know, as, as much as I hate to be a, uh, an advocate for it, I am kind of an advocate for, for Facebook ads and uh, for, for getting in touch with people on LinkedIn and for you know, uh, taking, taking a little bit of time to put Instagram content together. I, I think that those are great ways to, you know, if you're, prov- if you're giving good stuff, then and it's kind of the the sponsored content idea, which I, I sometimes hate that word because like I think of it like a party, right? You go to a party, do you really care who paid for the party as long as as the party is good? Mm-hmm. And so you know that's kind of my approach to sponsored content, and you know this kind of transactional nature of making sure that that we can continue to justify the the cost of the of the marketing team is we just it's our job to just produce really great content if we're producing really great content then we're going to get the people that we need in order to justify the amount of money that we spent yeah obviously it's never that easy you know there are there are trial and error things out there i think you know when you start out with facebook ads and like your cost per acquisition on you know one user is like hundreds of dollars then obviously that's a terrible idea and that's not going to not going to be great for you if get hundreds of dollars worth of value out of that user but you know if if you get it down to where you're 10 15 bucks a user then that becomes just kind of the cost of doing business and all it takes is the one right user to come into your network who then spreads your information out to their massive network and you know you kind of then rely on that that sort of for lack of a better term it's kind of the viral effect uh you know i don't i don't i don't shoot for virality I do shoot for getting something really good into the hands of the right people. But I guess you you have on on in the underlying point saying that there is a benchmark or there is a certain point where you have to look at numbers and you have to look at progression or measurement of success, right? So um, otherwise, you can't justify the spend that you might be proposing to your to to management or to to your boss. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we and, and it becomes a question. So one of the, I, I had a, a really stark wake up call 
uh, at the first startup that I worked for after leaving the next web, you know, because at the next web, I, I helped to grow the, uh, grow the audience there from something like a quarter million uh, views a month to somewhere around 14 million views a month. And so, you know, for, for me, pulling in traffic was never a problem. It was actually, you know, kind of an easy thing. Uh, and, and we didn't really look too much at what each individual person was worth as far as like, you know, how many, how many page views did their individual writings get? We looked at, were they a great writer and could they help our team? Uh, because that made sense at the next web. Now it doesn't always make sense at a startup where literally every penny has to be accounted for. And so one of my stark realizations was that when I got to my first quarterly review and they took my full bleed cost of, you know, me being employed, which was, you know, like my salary and my benefits and my retirement and all these things. And they said, okay, so for every person based on the traffic that we have right now, every person who reads the blog is costing us, you know, like $9 or something like that. And I, and that was a shock to me because I went, oh, wow. So that means that I, I need to dramatically increase the number of people who are reading the blog in order to get those that cost per user down. And so that was kind of my first, you know, real uh, taste of, of cost per acquisition. <laughs> and so, you know, the, there, there definitely comes a point when I have to sit back and I'm sure that I, I have to justify to, you know, the, the CIO or the CEO, uh, the cost of what we're doing. And part of that is setting reasonable expectations, you know, making sure that, so for instance, we somewhat recently did a, a URL change. We, the blog used to sit on a subdomain. We're now sitting on a, a regular domain. So we're, we're having to build up that, that, uh, Google presence again, because we've changed the domain of the blog. And we've also gone over from a subdomain, which is really terrible for SEO. And so one of the things that I had to do was kind of set reasonable expectations with my uh, executive team and, and tell them, you know, look, it's going to take 90 days for us to see anything from this. And then we're not going to see our really big information come out or, or you know we're, we're not going to see really big changes come out for six months or nine months or maybe even a year but after that time then we're we're going to be in a really good place and you know we've we've had all the right stuff going on in the back end now that the front end is is working correctly you know so they don't have to they're, they're not always going to like to hear that side of stories but i think it's it's critically important for content producers to understand the technical aspects of things and understand, you know, what a cost of acquisition is or, you know, total lifetime value of a user. And, you know, so that they can break those things down into, okay, so every user that we acquire pays us $4, but it's costing us nine bucks to get them. I need to do something dramatically different. And so set expectations, be at least familiar with how to find those, those you know, CAC and LTV numbers uh, and, and keep track of them. I agree. And it's, it's a lot tougher in startups, but at the same time, you're earning it. So you can make, take the direction that you can, you can chop and change it as you need to, rather than having to get several levels of approval to make that happen. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm given some some pretty good autonomy, which is wonderful. Uh, but I'm still, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still responsible for the results of whatever decision that I make. And and so you have to not really have fear of failure. You have to embrace the idea that everything that you that you do may not work. And then, you know, understand what it means if it doesn't work and already have your next moves planned out. Exactly. If you're, not, if you're not accountable to what you're doing, then you're just not going to take it seriously and you're not going to be able to move forward and see progression. So, right, right. Just, I guess, look, moving, moving, looking forward, what's, in concrete terms, what's the DC's objectives and uh, initiatives that AngelMD wants to achieve? Editorial, yeah. Is this possible? Sure. So uh, my primary thing is I'm, we're really focused on these partnerships that we're developing with, uh, you know, things like the American College of Emergency Physicians, the American College of Cardiology, uh, because again, like we talked about before, those are those are really like our core audience. You know, those are doctors who are well versed in their fields. They're probably uh, you know, if they're paying for an ASAP or an ACC membership, then they're probably at the point in their career where uh, they're they're fairly well established. And so, those are the people that we really need to be able to to bring into the fold at AngelMD. And so, we're spending a lot of time and a lot of effort to find the right content, which requires a lot of back and forth with these associations, with them telling us, you know, okay, here's what's worked for us in the past. And, you know, then, then figuring out, uh, you know, is that something that fits within the, uh, the wheelhouse of AngelMD? And is that something that, or, you know, do we need to tweak it somewhat to make it fit AngelMD? And then is it still viable for the association? So that, that's probably our biggest push is this association thing and, and continuing to uh, really nurture those relationships and, and to expand to get more of them. Uh, you know, because we, we love working with these, I, I don't want to call them partners because I, you know, that, that gets into legal terms. Uh, but, but we love working with these, uh, these other organizations and, and being able to have an association with them that can be mutually beneficial because we're, we're providing information and, and events and, you know, editorial content to their members that they might not otherwise have seen. And in return, we're giving them an opportunity, or, or it gives us an opportunity to to directly connect with these these people who are just our real core audience. Uh, so that's that's probably our, our primary focus. I think second to that, uh, I'm going to continue to to put a heavy focus on our newsletters because we have found. I mean, we anybody who's done any kind of research will tell you that that email still converts better than anything else. Yeah. Uh, so. I, I'm spending a lot of time making sure that our newsletters are just as solid as they can possibly be, that they're incredibly well-targeted, that they contain the right information, that they're, uh, you know, that we're going through our CRM or, or our newsletter management and, and creation and making sure that the people are actually tagged with the, the right sorts of, you know, whether it's a subspecialty or, or they're a doctor or whatever, we want to make sure that we're, we're giving them the right information to the right people. And so it's a, it's a lot of manual work, but in the end, I think it pays off dramatically when you give the right message to the right people at the right number of times. So uh, that's that, those are my two biggest areas of, cons, uh, of uh, concern and focus right now. And I think that as the year goes on, um, 
you know, and, and our development team continues to make the blog prettier and to get us more content or, you know, more ways to produce content. We are, we're going to continue to branch out into more video and more audio content. Uh, I, I love the podcast that Susanna does. It's called On Call. She's gotten really great reviews of it so far and continues to just uh, do incredible work with it every other week uh, and, and do interviews with, with some really inspiring people. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what she continues to do with that. And, you know, so that, that kind of goes back to my other focus for the year is continuing to hopefully influence in hiring the right people to, to do the job. I, no, that, that's exciting to hear. Um, two questions from that. So can you, do you think you can replicate the process on, on collaborating with these other organizations and yeah, I'll start with that, and then I'll ask the other question. Yeah, so so far we've we've uh, done pretty well in replicating the process with it. Uh, like I said, we've got uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Mark on our staff who that's that's his primary job is uh, working with to expand the number of associations that we have and to you know continue to negotiate with them and to uh, to find other associations that maybe we weren't aware of. Uh, but, you know, having a dedicated person who spends the majority of, of their time uh, working toward that goal is paramount for us in the success of this venture. His kind of second big job thing is that uh, he's also the one who puts together our annual conference. So, you know, he's, he's already working on that as well. And uh, the, the conference for us is not only the, the whatever happens in those three days, it's also what, how many interviews can we record? How many talks can we record that we can then repurpose into, uh, you know, whether they're blog posts or white papers or whatever throughout the year as we lead up to our next conference. So, you know, Mark has, has done a phenomenal job putting, uh, he did a phenomenal job putting together the first one. I'm looking forward to the second one. And and I, I think that uh, his work with the associations is going to be absolutely critical to the success of what AngelMD does. You also spoke very highly of Susanna, especially the fact that she's a recent graduate. So how do you think people who are fairly new into the space can can take ownership to the point like Susanna's doing in, in running a podcast. So I think you hit the nail on the head and in, in, in asking the question. The magic of Susanna Machado is that she is absolutely unafraid to learn and to try. And she will ask questions relentlessly. And if she has an idea she she is always learning how to do something new and learning where her boundary is so that she can ask forgiveness instead of permission so you know she the the, the podcast for instance uh I, I hadn't really heard much about it and then all of a sudden she says hey by the way here's the first episode of the podcast i'm like wow uh, okay that's great yeah, you know, and it's not like she needed my permission to do it, but it was it was funny to me in a very positive way to see her go from okay, I've kind of got this idea to oh, okay, here it is. And so, you know, if, if you're if you're a recent graduate or you're somebody who's just trying to break into the 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 content marketing or you know the the field of of marketing or writing or whatever, just try stuff. 
just don't be afraid to reach out there to put your to to put it all out on the line and try something new. You know, there there are probably tens of thousands of podcasts out there. Not a whole lot of them get a lot of attention. Some of them get a massive amount of attention. And by looking at the most successful ones and seeing what areas that you can replicate, you know, there, there are ways towards success there. And you can do the same thing, whether, whether it's editorial writing or you know, factual blogging or wh- whatever content you're trying to produce. There are so many examples of good stuff out there that are just asking to be made better. And I think that that is, to me, my number one characteristic of what I want to see and whether it's a new grad or a new hire or whatever, I just want them to be gutsy enough to try something. And just to finish it off, what other uh, career advice do you have for people who want to get into digital media and publishing? Wow. Where do I start? (laughs) I, I guess if, if I'm, if I had to, if I had to narrow it down to one piece of advice, because I I could talk about this, yeah, we we could talk about good advice and bad advice, and and kind of being the Yoda of uh, uh, digital we'll have media. A podcast and have you as one of our main speakers about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if I had to offer one piece of advice, it would be don't do it if you're not passionate about it, because it's going to show whether you're passionate or not. And, and to be incredibly cliche, but, but very factual, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And so if you, if you are passionate about something and you think that you have something to say, you think that you have a voice that, that deserves to be heard, it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you come from, whether you're male, female, or whatever. If you believe that you can and you actually will put yourself out there, then you can make a difference and you can do something really incredible. Understand that the the approach to incredible is a long, slow, sometimes arduous process. Don't give up. Just keep going. That's awesome. Um, I really like the fact that whether you think you're right or wrong. How did you say it again? Whether you think you're okay. right, it's it's a uh, it, it was an old uh, thing that I saw actually at, at a church years and years ago on their sign. It said, "Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right." That's it. And That's so, it yeah, and it's just the power of believing in what you're doing and and your ability to do it. That's awesome. I really appreciate you spending some time speaking with us. Oh, my, my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing Podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time. Five-Hour Tea with Caffeine from Green Tea Leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go, to the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-Hour Tea, Caffeine from Green Tea Leaves. Release your natural sight from the makers of Five-Hour Energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. 
And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.